in Ephesians 4 so far, and particularly last week, what we have seen, once again, is the theme of our book is that we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we have been set free to live lifestyles that look like Christ, that have the the likeness of Christ. So we were exhorted by the passage to no longer walk as the Gentiles do, to no longer walk as if we are still spiritually dead because we have been made alive to Christ. We have seen that sin is blinding. We see that sin is deceiving. We see that sin hardens the heart. We see that sin gives us this pride that we are willingly give ourselves over to the desires of the flesh. But for those who are in Christ, this is no longer our identity. We are free. We are free. There's freedom in Christ, in this new identity. And that's why we we talked about how the the Gospel is reminding us. Reminding us of, of who we once were, right? Remember? You were like the Gentiles. You were hardness of hearts, callous, ignorant to the things of God, where life really exists, caught in the deceitfulness of our own desires. We're reminded of that, and then we were also told that the gospel restores us, restores us to to put off our old self, like taking off dirty, worn-out clothes, and to put on Christ. And the most important thing is that's just not like a, a one-time deal. That's, a, that's an every time, every day, mortification, vivification of Christ. Every day, sometimes multitude of times a day, depending on needed to put on Christ. And so this morning as we move into just verse 25, just verse 25 this morning, we're going to see how the Apostle begins a, a list for us, a, a list of what it means, again, of, of the replacing the old self, the sinful habits of, of our own self-righteousness and replacing them with holy habits. Holy habits that resemble Christ. So let's read verse 25 together. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 25. And let's read that together. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray now in our time of hearing your word preached that you would open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to delight in the truth now, to love the truth, that we may believe more, that we may trust more in you and love one another more. Speak to us now. It's in Christ's name that we pray and we ask these things. Amen. It seems really simple 
and maybe even a little out of touch to have a sermon on not lying, doesn't it? Seems a little bit beyond or maybe behind what we should be hearing about this morning to hear sermons on, on, on do not lie. Right? We want to we put these kind of sermons in the category of legalism, right? Now, there's no grace there. But those who have been walking through with us in Ephesians know that there's grace all around this. So simply enough, to tell a lie is to not tell the truth. Right? Surprise. <laughs> to lie is something that we've all been taught, in a sense, do not lie, that is. We've been taught as one of the very first lessons in life, isn't it? When a, when a child can first start speaking, generally the next thing after that is lying. Not to get caught, not to get in trouble. And it's not something that we teach, right? We don't, we don't teach our children how to lie. And, and I don't think... Lying is, a, is a, human, a learned human behavior, meaning I don't think that they really pick that up instinctively by watching us. I think they pick up the techniques, and they learn how mommy and daddy might do it, right? Or others, and they learn the techniques, but I don't think they gain lying from just a learned behavior. I think it's clear that lying is a condition of the heart. It's a condition of the, the innate nature of mankind. It's not something that is taught. It's not something that is, you know, that is put into them by culture or society. It's not something we, we learn. We may, like I said, we may learn the techniques, but we don't pick that up from, from culture. It is who we are. It's in every culture around the world. Falsehood, deception, Lies are all products of, of the fall and are all are deeply ingrained in this, this sinful nature. This sinful nature we've talked about in Ephesians 2 and in so many other places. But lying isn't just something that children do, is it? Lying isn't something that, that children do, but adults as well. Ad- adults lie. And doesn't it seem that, they, that, that now these lies are becoming harder and harder to discern? Doesn't it seem like it's, everything is so mixed up now, things have been spun in so many different directions, and, and, and we're only getting just angles of media, we're only getting, we're only getting the agendas of media, but now it is so hard to tell what's true and what's Right? Democrats say Republicans are liars, and Republicans say that Democrats are liars. Well, they both can't be right on that. Is that, I mean, right? It's hard to see anymore. It's hard to see, and, and some people, even in our culture, have, have completely thrown out the notion that there's anything wrong. That there's, that there's nothing wrong. That no matter what you do, it's not wrong. If it's right to you, then it must be right. This notion of right and wrong has been thrown out the window. A lie is not a lie as long as you believe it. Of course, a lie is a lie when you lie to me, though. Then it's a lie. And worst of all, 
what we have also seen is we have seen a culture that, that really doesn't care now when a lie is explicitly told and even confessed. No one cares. As long as it doesn't hurt me, I don't care. This is the nature of mankind. Right? What we see is a death of culture because of sin. And it's always been that way. We're not, we're not living in some kind of new way of doing sin. Right? This, is, this has been throughout the ages. Read history. What about white lies? I mean, if it doesn't hurt anybody, is that really wrong? Here's another one. What about exaggeration? I mean, come on. Don't we all exaggerate just a little bit? I mean, when we catch that fish, it gets a little bit bigger when we tell the story about four more times. Or that coming up the deer season, right? We, that deer has a couple more times than it did. Oh, I, I've already took it to the, I already took it to the butcher. Can't see it. Oh, my camera was dead. I didn't get a picture of it, right? I don't think anybody does that, but, but that's exaggeration. We, we exaggerate. Isn't that, isn't that okay? I mean, that doesn't really hurt anybody. In fact, what it does, it makes people more like excited and more happy. This morning, I want us to look together back to the Word of God about what is falsehood, where it comes from, why we do it, and how to put it away and replace it with truth. How to put it away and replace it with truth. I think it's pretty clear that if, if you've been raised in, in church and you know anything about church or know things about God, that it is clear in Scripture that the, what the Bible says about lying. Right? This is just a, one example of, of what the Scripture says and teaches us uh, uh, about lying. But I think what we might have missed is we might have missed the seriousness of lying. The seriousness in which God takes the truth. The seriousness in, in which God honors and speaks the truth. So let me give you some ideas of that by just walking through some passages with you. They're not going to be on the screen, but just let me walk through these with you. First one I want to go to is Exodus 20, verse 16. This is in the Ten Commandments. It starts off right here. You shall not bear false witness, right? Or you shall not lie against your neighbor. Exodus 20, verse 16. Don't lie to your neighbor. Psalm chapter 5, verse 6. You destroy those who speak lies, and the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 12, verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but to those who act faithfully are His delight. Proverbs 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to the man. But afterwards, his mouth will be full of gravel. Proverbs 21, verse 6. 
The getting of treasures by, lying, by a lying tongue is fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Revelation 21, 7 through 8. But the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If we were once blind, if we were once ignorant, or maybe even indifferent to what God thought about the matters of, of telling lies, not anymore. Let us not think that anymore. These are strong passages that tell us exactly how seriously God takes the truth. God commands. God commands the, the truth. He commands the truth to be, to be spoken. He commands that the truth will be, will be said and that he will punish falsehood. And the reason why, because, because he himself is the truth. And, and in him, there is no falsehood. So to represent any kind of falsehood, no matter which way we want to spin it, is to deny the truth, which is denying God himself. So what I want you to gain in reading these passages is, number one, not to be scared in the sense, but that we should be warned not to be so loose with the truth. White lies, exaggeration, because Scripture is clear that God is not indifferent on the truth. And Scripture also shows us that there's a connection between those that practice lying, those that practice lying in the condition of the heart. So let's look, at back, look back at Ephesians 4, and let's look at that connection between the practice of lying and the condition of the heart. So verse 25, we see in, we see in verse 25 there, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood. We put away falsehood. The same verb that's being used for put away is the same verb that's being used or was used back in verse 22 to put off the old self. To put off the old self. So, so when he says to put away lying or falsehood, that is putting away the old self. You see the connection. You see how they lie there, right? So he's now saying the things of the old self that we put away, number one is falsehood. We put away falsehood because it belongs to the old manner of the self and the old life that is corrupt with its deceitful desires. So the pattern of lying, pattern of lying is a characteristic of the old self. This is helpful to know. This is very helpful to know. So did you, did you see in that passage, though, looking back at verse 22, did you see where lying comes from? Did you see that? Did you see where, where lying comes from? Lying is the result of corrupt and deceitful desires. The old self, right? Corrupt, deceitful desires. And when those desires are, are conceived, they're conceived where? 
Scripture tells us where they are conceived. They're conceived in the heart, in the heart of man. And when they conceive, they give birth to sin. Those deceitful desires, when they conceive, they give birth to sin. In this case, that sin is lying or falsehood. So verse 22, showing us that the the old self, the old manner of life, we put off. We we put off. This is is the old self, right? So remember, this is the the pre-conversion self. This is the before I was in Christ, the reminder of who I once was, that I am no more. We know that these desires are bad. We know that these desires are bad because they are what kind of desires? They're deceitful desires. They're deceitful desires. So desires in of themselves are not all bad. God has given us desires. God has given us our desires, though, to be used good, to be used in in, in, in good ways. And what sin has done, what the fallen nature has done, it has taken those good desires that God has given us and has corrupted them. It has corrupted them for us to believe that I can use this desire for wrong, for bad. Our desires have been corrupted. So when we go after those wrong things, it shows us just shows us that our hearts are deceived. Shows us that our hearts are deceived. Deceived to what really is desirable. Our hearts are deceived to what really is desirable. So here comes the point. So here's the point. Our old self, our former nature's listen to me, are liars. Are liars. Because lying comes from the desires of deceit. So simply put, the the reason why we lie, the reason why the human race in their nature lies is because they have desires that they shouldn't have. They have desires to be deceitful. And we are deceived, we are deceived about what is, once again, truly desirable. Relook with me back at verse 17 and 19. He says, Now this I say, testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Deceived, right? Alienated from the life of God. So what's really desirable is the life of God. Because of the ignorance as that is in them, blinded, due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous, and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, practice of every kind of impurity. This is what that means. So do you see how the old self in the heart is corrupted with deceitful desires, not not good desires, led to be ignorant on what really matters, what's really desirable, what's really valuable in this life. They are callous, hard-hearted, leaving us open to all kinds of deceit and sensuality, and impurity. And in this case, lying. Lying comes from the heart, which is deceived by deceitful desires. It's a really important point. 
But what is it about those desires? What is it about those desires that tempt us to lie? So we saw where lying comes from. And this is now asking the question, or going to answer the question, why then? We have the where, but what about the why? I've identified two reasons. Two reasons why we, we give into our deceitful desires, or why we are deceived. And I believe that if we can see them ourselves, we'll be able to recognize these things. And we'll be able to see what, what, to, what to mortify, what to, what to put to death. And we'll be able to see clearly when temptation comes. The first reason is because of fear. Because of fear. And looking at this, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 21. You, you can turn to, you want, it's going to be on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 27, we see where Jesus was encountered by the, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And in, 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 in chapter 21, what they were trying to do is they were trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself. They're trying to get Jesus to, to incriminate, incriminate himself to blasphemy. And so as Jesus is teaching, they, they come up to him, and, and, and it sounds in the text almost like they just kind of interrupted the whole spiel, and they just said, by what authority are you saying these things? By what authority are you doing these things? And so Jesus says, I will answer your question by asking you a question. And he asks the question to them. He says, John's baptism. Where did it come from? Sorry, we know John, John, John the Baptist, who, who baptized into, into water. John was extremely popular. So Jesus testing them, testing them to see what they really loved. Testing them to, to expose the hypocrisy of their questioning. And so he asked them by, he asked them, where did John's baptism come from? Did it come from heaven? Or did it come from man? What desires? What desires? What makes up a lie? It's all in this passage right here. We see the anatomy of a lie. Right, you, you go dissect a frog in high school, right? This is, this is dissecting a lie right here and seeing the, the deceitful desires at work. And brother and sister, and if we, are, if we are honest with ourselves, we will see these same things in ourselves at times. We will see how the old self creeps out. So listen to what he says in verse 25. This is how they, this is how they answered after Jesus asked the question. This is what happens. Here's, here's what happens. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven... He will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say for man, we're afraid of, what the, of, what, of the crowd. For they hold, to, hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So did you see the lie in the making? Did you, did you see as they were discussing among themselves how we are going to deal with this problem? 
how they were going to protect their reputation, how they were going to protect their own physical safety before the people, sacrificing the truth. In our times, politicians and consultants, they call this the right optics. Right? That's the new word. We got to get. We got to spin this to the to the to the right optics. Give the the right answers, so that makes us look the best before our audience. So they answered, "We don't know." They feared a bad reputation. Do you see that there? Back in verse 25, look at their reasoning again. Back in verse 25, the the truth was completely irrelevant. It really wasn't even about answering the, the question. Because if they, if they said that it was, you know, if this baptism was from heaven, which, by the way, they did not even believe, if they said that it came from heaven, then what would they be look like before the people? Remember they said it? They said, they said then they're going to say, well, why didn't you follow him? And they're gonna, they didn't want to have egg on their face, right? They, they didn't want to look bad. They didn't want people to think less of them. They didn't want a bad reputation. They feared. Fear ruled them here. Second thing is they, they feared physical harm, right? Because the second thing was is if, they, if, they, if they answered that John's baptism was from man, which is exactly what they believed, then what would happen? They said, these people might rise up and stone us. Because John was a prophet. To, to them, John was a prophet. And if we say that John was wrong in what he's saying, they may stone us for blasphemy. They were afraid of the crowd. They were afraid of the crowd. And so their answer, as diplomatic with the right optics, was we don't know. The fear of death and the fear of man's esteem are two kinds of fear that leads mankind to lie. Hear me on this. These desires, these, these desires of, of self-preservation is exactly the deceitful desires that we see in Ephesians 4. That these are the, the deceitful desires to believe and protecting your reputation more than speaking the truth and to believe that your physical safety is more important than the truth, it's a lie. Just giving in to the deceitful desires of the old self. And this is exactly what Satan does, isn't it? This is exactly the way that, that he deceives us. He redirects our desires to think that, that our self-preservation, whether it is our, our esteem before man or our own physical safety, is, is more important than the precious truth. Which, by the way, once again, is so rare. You see, persecution may one day come. Persecution may, may come our way, and, and we have dear brothers and sisters who are faced with this on a daily basis around the world, but one day persecution may come our way and our desires will be exposed. Our desires will be exposed. So, so where are we going to stand? Are we going to stand on the, the truth as our brothers and sisters stood on the truth and they were martyred for the truth? 
Matthew 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're deceived. We can be deceived. Deceived and to believe that our fear, the fear of being made fun of or even physical pain is something to fear more than God himself. Or even God's disapproval. So the first was fear. We saw the two types of fear. And the second one that we have is greed. And we have two types of greed. The first form of, of greed is the greed for, for money and all that, that you can get with money in this life. The second one is a, is a greed for praise and a greed for approval of man. In Acts chapter 5, we see a, a, a sad example of this. The story of Ananias and Sapphira, a, a husband and wife who were a part of the church. They were a part of the church, and the church was flourishing, and the church was, was growing. And, and they wanted to sell a piece of property, and they wanted to give it to the church. Give all the proceeds to the church. That was their intent. That is what they said. And when they sold the property, it says very specifically in the text that Ananias himself held back a portion of the proceeds of the money that they received from the, the selling of the property. And his wife knew it. It actually says that and it, with his wife's knowledge, right? With his wife knew of this. They came to the church with a portion of it. And they laid it down before the apostle Peter's feet. And they said that this is the sum of money we are going to give. And in verse chapter 3, verse chapter 3, Peter says, I mean, it's like right after he lays the money down, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? Exposed. Exposed right here. And, and also, once again, we see here Satan, again, doing what he does, deceives and, and, and lies, filling the heart of, of Ananias to lie to Peter and, most importantly, lie to God himself. How does this happen? Because Ananias first believed the lie. He believed the lie. That's, that's what we do. Go all the way back to Genesis 3 in humankind. We, we believe lies. And the lie that he believed was the lie that it is better to keep for yourself than it is to give. He believed the lie. And isn't this the exact opposite of the words of Christ, right? That it is better to give than it is to Receive, And this is the same kind of rationale that we use in our minds that deceive us and deceive those, those desires as well, those same, those same desires. Because he might have said to himself, you know, I'm going to sell this land and i got some bills to pay, man. i got to pay these things. Or maybe I just want to take my wife on a trip. I want to go somewhere. I want to do this. I see all these other people doing these things. I want this too. I want a new couch or whatever it is. And they believe that I need these things more than I need the truth. So do you see how when we believe in lies, the deceitful desires changes what really is desirable? 
And just as we read in the Proverbs, Ananias and his wife both lied. And they both dropped dead. (laughs) Because lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Second, greed also led Ananias and Sapphira not only to seek money for their own personal gain, for what they can buy, but also for the praise and the approval of, of man. Why not, why not just tell the truth, right? Like, like, why didn't they just tell the truth from the get-go? And Peter even kind of asked that question. Nobody compelled you to, to give. Nobody told you you needed to go sell this, this land and give us this amount of money. Nobody commanded that, right? Nobody commanded so what was it? Why didn't they just keep the money so that he could pay his bills or he could take his wife on the trip or, or what was it? Because not only did they want the money, but they wanted the honor. They wanted the, the, the flattery from others. They wanted the praise, the, the approval of others. Greedy. Greedy for people to look at them in high esteem. Seeking the approval and praise of men instead of seeking the approval and praise of God. Now, in verse 25, looking back at Ephesians 4, the second half of this verse kind of changes, shifts from a negative now to to very much of a positive and, and what it looks like now, the, the putting off of the old self, right? Putting away falsehood and replaces that falsehood or that false speech with now speaking the truth with his neighbor. And it says, for we are members of one another. For we are members of one another. You see, the, the old nature, remember, is, is given into lying. It's given into lying because it is enslaved to deceitful desires, deceitful desires of, 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 of fear or personal gain or whatever it is, greed. And it's based upon deceit. But that's not who we are. For those who are in Christ, that's not who we are. So this is what we are putting off. We're putting off that, that temptation. We're putting those things and we're mortifying them. And we are putting on the, the new self, the new self that looks like Christ. The one that is created by God and is marked by righteousness. That is marked by holiness. Right? Look back at verse 24. Look back at your verse, verse 24 in your Bibles and see that. Right? But put on the, the new self that looks like Christ. Righteousness and holiness. So we must see that when we put off falsehood, when we put off falsehood, that, that falsehood is replaced, right? It needs to be replaced. And what is it replaced with? It is replaced with, with the truth. It is replaced with the truth. The truth of, of, of Jesus. Speaking the truth of Jesus. See that in verse 21, right? To, to one another in particular. So we don't speak falsehood to one another, but we speak the truth. To one another. And, if, and it does this by the, by the renewing of our minds, by the renewing of the, the spirit of our mind that is renewed as we are setting our minds on Christ. 
filling our minds with the truth. Filling our minds with the truth so that when those deceitful desires come that actually sound like they're right, we may be able to point them out because we have been filled with truth. So at this point, I, I, would, I would love for us just to kind of stop and, and, and go back to even Ephesians 1 and, and just kind of walk through the truth of who Jesus is, the great promises of God, and, and then take those and apply those on how to fight these deceitful desires. What a great work of joy that would be. What a great work of joy. Could you imagine, could you imagine that next time when, when temptation comes, and, and you could definitely use lying because you're out of fear, greed, whatever, or you could put anything else in that, in that space. you imagine when that comes, and instantly in your mind, lie-fighting truth comes to your mind of who Christ is? Can you imagine that? Isaiah 53. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 1, Psalm 23. They get basic, right? Colossians 3, Colossians 2. I mean, we, we say so much. Can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine what, what victory, what overwhelming joy, what, what grace, what grace? We fight those lies and those deceitful desires with truth. And we replace those desires with truth. But we see something interesting here. Back in verse 25, Paul chose to focus our truth on something else or to apply this truth somewhere. Very particular. Out of, out of all the different relationships that we have in this life, we see that this is putting away falsehood. Now that we've put away falsehood, let's speak truth to our neighbor, to one another, members of one another. He chose to speak to the church, to us. To us as, as members, once again, of one another. It points back to, the, I think, the point of the chapter. The point of the chapter that a, that a church isn't going to be unified if we're lying to one another. Or if we're, we're hiding the truth from one another. Or if we're exaggerating to, to, to one another. What, whatever it may be. That gospel-centered unity in the church is rooted in truth. Speaking truth in love. I mean, what would happen? I mean, it goes back to the illustration of the body. What would happen if our eyes started lying to our hands? What would happen if your eyes started lying to your hands? I probably would have slammed my hand in the van this morning. Boom! And my hand would say, I thought you said the door was over here. Or I would burn my hand on the stove. 
how many times do you think you would have stabbed yourself in the eye with a fork? If your eyes are lying to the hands. Why? Because they are members of one another. And they, they, they must work together. You see, when we, when we begin to grasp this reality that we are the body of Christ, that we are members of one another, and when we are members of one another, when you begin to see this, and this truth just kind of washes over you all the time, daily, that I am a member of one another, that what happens to me greatly affects Tyler, what happens to Tyler greatly affects John, and what happens to John greatly affects Kenny, what happens to Mr. Richard greatly affects James, because we are a body. We're one another. And when we begin to see this, when we begin to be renewed by this truth, our relationships, our interactions with one another are completely transformed. They'll intensify. They'll intensify. They'll become more intentional to care for one another. Because you don't want the fork poking you in the eye. They'll be you'll care more. You'll, you'll love more. You'll, you'll reach out more. And, and this is what the body needs. This is why he's saying it's because the body needs true, open, clear, intentional interactions with one another. Something that I have to work on. And maybe you too. And by God's grace, the masks of popular Christianity, of, of just coming to church but not really being a part, staying off just a, a little bit distant because I'm fearful of what they may think of me. And we can get this. This is the, this is the, the great wall that we must hurdle over. <laughs> To have that, that intimate community with one another. When we can get this, when, when we can get this, that we are a body, members of one another, we can rejoice in the truth. And we can rejoice in how we love one another. putting off the old self, replacing it with the truth. Let's resolve together to not spin the truth around, to not be hypocrites, to not be deceiving, to not be double-tongued, to not be gossips. Let's not be that way here at Sovereign Grace. Let's not be that way here. My prayer for myself and also for our, for our elders, is that we can lead in a way that is transparent, that is open, that is honest, not to have anything to hide, to trust one another, to love one another, and to love Christ because he himself is the truth. And the truth will set us free. So my hope again 
I said this a couple weeks ago, but my hope again for us as a church, this is what I pray for, for you, as I pray for it for me, is that the two ways that we would be known for is how we love one another and that we would love the truth. We'd be known for, for loving the truth, and so we speak it, we desire it, we seek it, in, in all areas of life, to one another, and that we would love one another as family. We would love one another's family as members of one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, oh, that we may love the truth, and we may speak the truth, and we may share the truth because you are the truth. Help us to desire in this life what is really desirable. Give us the clarity to see the deceitfulness of Satan that entices our flesh. Help us to know that we have been set free, that the old self is gone and the new has come, and we have been made a new creation in Christ. That we would put away all falsehood of who we once were, that we would speak the truth to one another as the body of Christ. That we'd show our love for one another and how we speak the truth to one another. May your Holy Spirit lead us as we respond to your word this morning together for edification and for the building up of your church, for your glory and for our joy. Amen.